let's try this. I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right. Uh, again, thanks for being here. Uh, we're so glad that you are here. Like I said, my name is Eric. I get to be the pastor here. I've got three kids and one more who's going to be born any day now. We're due on Wednesday. So um, any day now, if Kristen gives me the word, she's back in the nursery. Uh, I'm bolting out of here, which by the way, if a woman who's nine months pregnant can serve in the nursery, that takes away all excuses, I think, uh, from anyone else serving in the nursery. So she's back there. Um, my kids, uh, Joshua eight, Rebecca's five and a half, Andrew is three. I love being a dad, but being a parent is both exhilarating and exhausting. Can I get an amen? Amen. All the parents are too tired to even say amen. It is awesome. Uh, one of my least favorite things about being a dad, I just have to admit it, is bedtime. Anyone else? Bedtime is hard, especially the more kids you add, right? Uh, is Beth in the room still? Yeah, five kids. Man, I can't even imagine. I'm going to four here. Like every night is like a hostage negotiation, right? It's like you will do or say anything to keep those kids in the room. It's like, no, don't leave. What do you want? Yes, you can have whatever you want. And they just move around and it's just exhausting. But one of the things I do like about bedtime is it is time of focused with your kids. And we started at a young age of reading stories to our kids. Well, my oldest, Joshua, I was kind of counting down the, the, the years when I knew he'd be old enough where I could read him one of my favorite kids' stories, which is the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, I love the Chronicles of Narnia. And the last two years, we've read all seven books of that series. And he loves them. He loves Aslan. He loves talking animals. I think he just loves, too, that in those, in those stories, it's kids that come in and they are the heroes and they are there to save the day. There's something about kids. They love those kind of stories about changing the world. See, I think kids, before we make them grow up and they become cynical adults, kids like really think they can change the world. They really think they can make a difference. Like when you ask a kid, like a seven, eight-year-old, like, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, no kid ever says, like, I want to sit in an office building and, like, punch in at nine and punch out at five. You know, like, no one says that. Like, they want to do something that actually makes a difference. Like, little kids, they want to be a firefighter and, like, save someone. They want to be a police officer and catch the bad guys. Or they want to be, like, a musician and bring art into the world or an athlete and do some kind of athletic thing that has never been done before. But they want to make a difference in the world. I gotta be honest, though, sometimes when I read these kids' stories to my kids, I get a little choked up. Why is that? Why is it that like, these books about Narnia or other ones like, impacts us? Because those kids' stories are echoes of what God is doing in the world, of the eternal story that God is telling in our lives and our worlds. Like, why do we love movies like The Greatest Showman? Who else has seen that movie? Who else, like, bought the soundtrack within, like, the next couple days? Yeah, right? I have some friends who, on the way home from the movie theater, bought the soundtrack. So good. Like, why do we love that movie? I think because we all feel a bit like misfits looking for community and purpose. And that movie is echoing the eternal story that is true in our hearts. Like, why do kids and maybe some of us adults love Frozen? Like, that story that the greatest love is when someone lays down their life for someone else. And not romantic love, but 
when Anna lays down her life for her sister. And it reminds us, it's the echo that our big brother Jesus lays down his life for us. Why do most guys like movies like Braveheart or Gladiator? It's an echo of Jesus's bravery, how he faced the cross and didn't back down, but gave his life up for all of us. There's something in those stories that echoes into the true story that God is telling. When I think of Jesus facing the cross and enduring that, I, I, I just get moved emotionally. I, I think of, of the Father looking at Jesus the Son and saying, like, here's the plan. You're going to go to earth. You're going to lay down your rights and privileges. And then you're going to die on this cross. And you're going to take all the sin and shame and filth and guilt of the world upon your shoulders. And the Father is going to have to look away. And Jesus endured that excruciating death for us. Why? Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for the joy set before him. Jesus faced the cross. See, the result of mission is always joy. Jesus understood his mission to save you and me. That was why he came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We talked last week about that. That the foundation of everything is that God so loved the world. You and I aren't just loved, that you and I are so loved. And because God so loved you and I, we can love God because he first loved us. And that's our starting point. We talked about that last week, that be moved by love for God and his love in us are like tiny explosions moving us forward like a combustion engine. If we try to serve and love others on our own strength, we will get burned out and exhausted. But if we are driven first in that understanding that you and I are so loved, then we can serve others. It's only in that understanding and knowledge that God so loved you and me. Then, in joy, we can understand our mission. And when we grasp the reason and the purpose that we are here, we will be filled with joy. Because there's always a connection between joy and mission. There's always a connection between joy and sentness. Maybe this morning, some of you are wondering why life feels a little tasteless, a little joyless. Maybe because you're not living on mission. You were made for greater things. You're trying to be content with momentary and fleeting pleasures, a better vacation, a bigger house, well-behaved kids in public. But it's not working because you and I were made for more, for greater things. You and I were made to live on mission. We're created to do more than just live and die for these temporary pleasures. If you feel like there has to be more, if your life is lacking joy, I want to tell you, there is. You can experience passion. You can experience purpose. You can experience joy, but that is connected with mission. 
There's a connection between understanding our purpose and our mission and joy. How many of you remember the old TV show Love Boat? Love Boat, yeah, great. How about uh, maybe the millennials? Do you remember Sweet Life with Zach and Cody on deck? Any millennials? Some of you, there you go. Nice, I love it, love it, yeah. Uh, I think some people think of the church like a big cruise ship. You know, Jesus saved us and now we're all huddled together on this ship and we're leaving the world behind and we're going to do some great activities and play some shuffleboard and the pastor and the staff are like event coordinators and we're serving you up some good meals on Sunday morning and planning some great events. I don't think that's why Jesus died on the cross. That so you and I could sit on a cruise ship and just sit back and enjoy and just consume. See, I don't think... A cruise ship is a good metaphor for the church. A better metaphor is a battleship. See, on a battleship, people know why they are there. They all have a role to play. They have a mission. Jesus, too, gave the church a mission to go into hostile territory, to rescue captives, to push back the enemy. On a battleship, everyone has a responsibility and a role to serve. Same with Jesus' church. If you are a follower of Jesus, then Jesus is your admiral. And you've been enlisted to serve into his navy. You have a role to play. Maybe it's a gunner. Maybe you're shooting prayers of support and cover as people go into ministry. Maybe you're a squad leader leading outreach groups into Maple Hills Estates mobile home community. Maybe you're a squad leader ministering to uh, single women and other women on Monday nights or discipling men on Wednesday mornings at Starbucks or on Saturday mornings. Whatever it might be, Jesus is sending you on mission. So the point is Jesus had a mission while he was here on earth and he has given us a mission too. See, I love worship. We talked last week about how important worship is. Worship isn't just music, but that worship is the language of the soul. And, and so one of the ways we connect with God is, is, is through music, but how we want to love God with our heart, our soul, and our mind. And preaching, a lot of times we engage with the mind, music with the soul. We serve, we give to break the chains of addiction and greed in our hearts. But here's the thing, is that goosebumps in worship or at U.S. Bank Stadium when you're listening to uh, Hillsong Young and Free or Vespers on a Sunday night. Goosebumps don't prove the presence of God. See, it's when our priorities align with the heart of God that we are worshiping God and align with His purposes. We don't want to get so caught up in just chasing the goosebumps and the feelings that we miss out on realizing that we are called to align our priorities with the same priorities that God has. And Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And if you and I are followers of Jesus, then our mission too is to seek and save the lost. There are people who are lost in their sin, in their addiction, people who feel hopeless at home. They feel like no one sees them. They go to work, they come home, they pull into their garage, no one talks to them. There are people all around us, maybe even here this morning, who are contemplating on ending it all because there is no purpose and no friendship in their lives. People who just feel overwhelming darkness and anxiety and depression. 
kids who don't have a dad in their life. Marriages that are getting ready to, to be given up on. They're ready to walk away. And we are called to push back the forces of darkness, to push back the enemy, to take new kingdom ground. We have a mission. We are not just a big cruise ship. We are a battleship. Speaking of boats, it reminds me of one of my favorite stories of Jesus. If you have Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Uh, the scriptures will also be here on the side screen. Uh, before we jump into Mark chapter 4, verse 35, would you just join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you for your love and for your grace. God, as we talk about what it means to serve others, God, I, I want to say just a thanks for everyone uh, who has served our country, uh, who, uh, who have kept us and our country safe. So God, we want to be reminded that we too should live on mission and purpose like those who have served. God, that we are all in your service. God, I pray this morning that my words would be clear, that you would speak through me, uh, God, that uh, you would say what needs to be heard. Uh, thank you, God, for your love and your grace. Amen. Uh, let's read Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, he turned to the disciples, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, he took with him, he, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. Side note, I got to go on a boat yesterday with the Harms. Thank you, Anne. I appreciate it. If you want to love and bless your pastor, uh, take him on a boat just like the disciples did to Jesus. It's biblical. It's right here. Uh, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this then that even the wind and the seas obey him? Jesus turns to the disciples on the boat and says, Guys, did you forget? I'm on the boat with you. You've seen me do some great things. You saw me heal people. I'm going to do it again. You've even seen me raise the dead. Why are you freaking out? I did some research on this. I'm not a meteorologist, although I think working as a weatherman is a great job because in what other industry can you be wrong 90% of the time and still have a job? Like, that's impressive. But what I discovered, Sea of Galilee is 680 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by these mountains. And according to weather experts, it's a perfect place for a storm to kind of blow up out of nowhere very common for storms to kind of explode on the Sea of Galilee with very little warning at all. It can be kind of a beautiful day, and then out of nowhere, a massive storm can hit. I think it's interesting that in our lives, we can be going along like normal, it can be a beautiful day, and then out of nowhere, a storm can hit. Maybe things with your spouse were a little rocky, but then you've been working, you've been going to counseling, things are good. Then one of you goes to the doctor and gets some bad news. Out of nowhere, a storm appears. 
Maybe your kid was kind of drifting and you've been working and praying for them and they thought everything was going well and then you find out the truth and they've been lying or doing something behind your back and out of nowhere, a storm just pops up into your life. Maybe you transitioned jobs, everything was going great. And you thought you were doing a good job with sales, but then the company's not doing well and they got to lay off people and you're one of the last ones hired and so you realize your job is at stake and out of nowhere you feel this storm pop up in your life. But think about this. Jesus gets in the boat, which is good and holy. And he tells his disciples, let's go over to the other side. So whose idea was it to get in the boat and ultimately to go through that storm? This is one of those like, call it out, you're not going to be wrong. Whose idea was it to go to the other side? Jesus. Yeah, that's the great Sunday school answer. Jesus. It was Jesus's idea. Why is he taking him to the other side? Jesus knew there was a guy on the other side who needed his help. Jesus had a mission. He's like, I got to go rescue, redeem, and save that guy. Because he was hurting himself. This guy was possessed by an evil spirit. And Jesus is going to take his disciples with him to speak some healing in his life. I think Jesus knew that storm was going to pop up. And yet Jesus still led his disciples into that storm. See, sometimes I think we think that when a storm pops up, when we lose a job or someone we love gets sick or when our kids go off the rail or whatever it might be, we think, man, what did I do? How did I stray out of God's will? But Jesus sent his disciples into that storm. And sometimes... When we're in the middle of a storm, it's not because we're out of God's will, but it's because we're exactly where God wants us to be. And see, I don't think Jesus sent his disciples into that storm just to test them, but I think he sent them into that storm to teach them something. See, it's really interesting. If you study most of Jesus' miracles, most of them happen in the context of a crowd around for the benefit of the crowd to see Jesus' miraculous healing power. This is one of the very few miracles that Jesus does just for the benefit of his disciples. See, I love that, because even those closest to Jesus needed that reminder that he is with us in the storm. His presence is with us in the storm. Just because you are going through a storm doesn't mean you're out of God's will. But we need to be reminded that his presence is with us in that storm. And also, not just his presence, but there's a purpose for that storm. There's a purpose. They're heading to go push back the work of the enemy. They're going to take new ground for the kingdom. So if you're currently in a storm, don't forget that you are there with his presence and that you're in the storm for his purpose. The question isn't, if you're going to survive the storm that you're currently in right now. See, the disciples, really the question wasn't if they're going to survive. Are they going to make it through or not? Jesus is not going to let them drown. Jesus is going to do it again. The question is, if you're in a storm or if you've been through a storm, the better question is, why did God lead you through that storm? Why did you make it through a storm? There's so many storms I've been through in my life when I look back and I'm not glad I went to them, but I understand the why later. 
three years of struggling to have kids and infertility. And now, understanding, okay, I, I get why I went through that. Now I can relate to someone who's in that same pain in a way that I couldn't have related before. When our second was born, not breathing for 12 minutes. And she spent her first 10 days in the NICU. God, why did I go through that storm? Well, now, when someone is in the hospital, someone they love, I understand a little bit more. When I spent a year jobless before we felt called to start this church and the whole long journey of that, and, and the first time in my life where I was without work from the age I was 16 until 33, whatever that was, I understand a little bit more when someone is struggling to get a job and, and, and it's just hard. The question isn't if you will survive the storm right now. The better question is why did you survive that storm? I believe that everyone here today on Memorial Day weekend, that you are here for a purpose and a reason. But maybe there were some storms that came up against you, even this weekend, to prevent you from being here. Think about all the things that could have happened that could have prevented you from being here today. I mean, it's Memorial Day weekend. Why aren't you on a boat? Like, right? Why aren't you up north? Like, you're here today. Think about all that could have kept you from being here today. This storm arose trying to keep Jesus and disciples from where they were supposed to go. If right now you are facing a storm, the size of your storm can tell me something about how important you are. See, the enemy will try to keep you from what God is calling you to do. He can't do it. But if you're facing a big storm, that might mean the enemy knows you have a big purpose in your life. So I think oftentimes the devil knows more about our destiny than we do. We think uh, we're just here doing nothing, but God knows that you and I are created for more. And our enemy understands that you and I aren't here just to live and die, but that we are drafted into God's service. You and I have a role to play as we partner with God to accomplish his purposes in this world. If Jesus went through this storm that scared even professional fishermen to get to that man, if Jesus went to the cross to save you and I, think about how valuable that you are. See, we don't sacrifice for things that aren't valuable. We don't put locks and keys around things that aren't worth something. We protect what's valuable. We sacrifice for what matters most. And the fact that Jesus died for you and me tells me that you and I are important, that we have value, that each and every one of us have worth from our Creator. Each and every one of us have a purpose in our lives. We're here to do more than just sit. Some of you right now are the first in your family to follow Jesus. You are breaking generational curses and you don't even understand it. You don't even know it. Some of you maybe didn't grow up with a dad and now you're having kids and you're like, I'm going to be different. I'm going to have, make sure my kid knows what it's like to have a dad in his life. I don't know what I'm doing really, but I'm doing my best. Some of you may be the first in your family to break the chains of alcoholism or an addiction to pornography or being unfaithful in your marriage. Some of you are raising kids who are going to be the first ones in your family 
to get married and then have kids instead of the other way around. We don't understand what we are doing because we don't have the big picture that God does, but you and I, we're not just living everyday, ordinary lives. We are meant for more. What happens next? Mark 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. A little foreshadowing right there. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. I never really thought about that until very recently. That how sound carries across a body of water. And on the other side is where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. And he'd get up often early in the mornings to pray and go up into the, into the hills. And I just wonder if night after night, early in the morning when Jesus got up to pray, he heard this man in the region of the Gentiles crying out, cutting himself. Until one day, Jesus said, we got to go over there. Regardless of the cost, regardless of the storm that's going to try to stop us, regardless of going to an area that's not our hometown, our home area, to a region of people we don't fully understand, we have to go there. Where is there for you? Where is that place where you've heard or seen people crying out in pain? God is going to tell you, you got to go. You got to go. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he's always crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he says, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. I know, this part of the story is really weird. If you're like new to church, like what? Demons asking Jesus not to go. He sends them into pigs. I know, it's weird. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Because the enemy is always going to try to destroy things in our lives. And the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. All their wealth is gone. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to heal them and to teach and to stay. Nope. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They loved their wealth and their pigs more than what Jesus could do for them. And as he was getting to the boat to leave, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. 
And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy for you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, this region of ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This man had lived in this region possessed by an evil spirit for years and years and years. And finally, when he's delivered, and when this region rejects Jesus, he says, please, please, let me come with you. And normally, when you read those stories, when Jesus, when people want to follow him, he's like, come, follow me. But in this instance, Jesus doesn't say, yes, come, follow me. He says, no, you need to stay. See, sometimes Jesus will give you the faith to leave and to go follow Jesus to that place where you need to go. And sometimes he's going to give you the grace to stay in that messy situation. Now, I want to be absolutely 100% clear because of what's been going on in the news with church leaders. If you are in an abusive relationship, God is not telling you to stay. You need to get out. You need to come tell the authorities, tell the church we will help you. It is never okay to stay in a situation where you are being beaten, you are being abused emotionally, verbally, sexually, whatever it might be. As a church, we have not done a great job. I'm being very clear about that. Abusive situations are never okay. And we will always love and protect victims. We will always call out those in power who are using that wrongly. But sometimes in other situations, not abuse, God might just give you the grace to stay. Maybe it's at a job that's hard and your boss is not a good person and you're just, ah. Maybe Jesus can give you the grace because you need to stay in that situation and affect the culture and change it. Maybe Jesus can give you the faith to go and leave. But maybe like this man, you just need a little bit more of Jesus' grace to stay and to make a difference. I love this, that Jesus says, tell the people what the Lord has done for you. What this man does is he tells everyone what Jesus has done for him. So if you want to tell people what God has done, tell them what Jesus has done. If you feel like maybe you don't have the right words or all the theology or all the understanding to tell people about God or your neighbor or your coworker or family member, that's okay. Start by telling them what Jesus has done for you. Start by telling them your story, how Jesus has broken your chains, how Jesus put you in your right mind, how Jesus delivered and redeemed you. As you tell people what Jesus has done, they will know what the Lord has done in your life. There's a pastor, uh, his name is Rick Warren, wrote The Purpose Driven Life. And he says something kind of cheesy, but I love it. He says, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. It's a lot of churchy talk for our purpose, why we exist. The great commandment is found in Matthew 22, and then the great commission is found in Matthew 28, and we'll be talking about that next week. But in Matthew 22, we read the first part last week, it says, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. 
Jesus, which is the great commandment in the law. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We talked about that last week, how we're called to love God with our hearts, our souls, our minds. That's why we do what we do here as a church. That's why we have preaching, to help you love God with your mind. That's why we have worship, to help you love God with your soul, that we give back to God. That part of giving is worship by breaking the chains of addiction and, and, and all being about us. We worship God with our hearts that when we serve over there, or here, or anywhere in the church, that by serving we're giving of our, our time and our energy and, and we're loving God with our hearts. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And we said, how do we love our neighbor? Well, the best way to love them is to serve them. It's one thing to say, hey, I love you, bro. It's another thing to show up and help someone move. It's another thing to bring coffee to your friend and say, hey, I'm going to serve you by, by just saying, hey, what's going on? It's one thing to say, I love kids. It's a whole other thing to serve those toddlers by teaching them about Jesus by praying for them. In the Bible, there's a whole bunch of these commands called one another's, to fill up one another, to pray for one another, to serve one another. The reality is we can't do those one another's if we don't know each other. We talk a lot how rows don't know. The people sitting next to you in your row, they don't know what's going on in your life. And so we encourage everyone to get in circles. That's why we have small groups. But I want to tell you, that's also why, in a very, very small way, I know some of you guys don't love this, that's why we ask you to stand up and to get to know someone next to you. That's why we have greeting time. Because if you don't know the people around you, there's no way to live out all those one another commands in the Bible. I know it seems kind of silly, and how are you going to get to know? But if we are all intentional, before church, or those who seem to have such trouble to get here at 10 o'clock, even though, you know, you had no trouble getting to work at 9 or 8.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning, whatever that might be. There's my pastoral jab at you this morning. If it's too hard to get here by 10 o'clock, I know it's so early. Then at 10.20, you have a chance to turn someone next to you. Hey, how you doing? To get to know them. And then to stick around after service for a couple minutes. We have these awesome tables out there. We have, you know why we have these tables? So that those who are still, uh, I don't know, about talking to people, you can still have the table between you and them. It's a barrier. You can even put your coffee or water on it. So tell me, how you doing? I got my barrier. I feel safe. Why do you think I have a table? It helps, you know? And I feel like I'm getting a little too much. Ah, I'm going back here. No, you know. Uh, that's why we have tables, okay? That's why we serve coffee. Because we're more comfortable with a beverage in our hand. That's why parties have alcohol, not just to get you drunk, but because you feel more comfortable with something in your hand. That's why we have coffee. I want to encourage you to get to know people. You can't love them. You can't serve them unless you know them. Use greeting time as an opportunity to actually get to know people. Ask them questions. Let's be a community that really knows. Not just rows who are sitting there watching. In that early church, as Jesus gave them their mission to love, to serve, what happened? They started turning the world upside down. Acts 4, verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with 
Jesus. They looked at Peter and John and what they were doing and turning the whole world upside down in the Roman Empire. And the early church is being established and people are being loved and served and met with the gospel. What kind of men? Uneducated, common men. And the religious authorities were astounded. How could God use these uneducated, common men? What was the answer? They had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. His everyday, ordinary, average guys were doing something that was supernatural. How were they doing it? They had been with Jesus. We talked about this one other time, but that word in the Greek for uneducated, ordinary, common, really should be translated something else, but the translators are two knights. It really means an ignoramus, an unlearned person. It literally means an idiot, idiotis. That's the word there. They were astonished that these uneducated, ordinary idiots who had been with Jesus were turning the world upside down. And the great thing is that if, like me, you consider yourself a little bit of an idiot, surrounded by other idiots, that's the kind of people that Jesus uses. Those who continue to make mistakes, those who continue to just not be perfect, to snap at our kids who don't love our spouses perfectly, who don't know all the answers. That's the kind of people that God uses because then he gets all the credit. But God doesn't just use any old idiots. It's idiots who have been with Jesus. That's why they were so dangerous. They knew who Jesus was. They believed in him. They were willing to follow him whatever the cost because they remembered they followed this rabbi who went through storms into Gentile territory to cast the demons out of people and to heal them, who went out and in that culture when you couldn't touch a leper and they hadn't been touched in decades, they served someone who actually touched the untouchables. When Jesus could have just said, be healed, he actually touched them, who brought life back to dead things. That when a wealthy ruler's daughter died. He didn't give up, but he went and brought her back to life. When a woman with an issue of blood who had exhausted all her resources as a single woman reached out and touched Jesus, he saw her, he healed her. He called her daughter. And these men and women who turned the world upside down They did it because they'd been with Jesus. If we are ever going to fulfill the call and the commission and the purpose that God has given us, we can't do it on our own strength. We can't do it just because we're a bunch of idiots who don't know any better. The only way that we can do it is if we have been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? If you have not bowed the knee to Christ and made him the leader of your life, I want to give you the opportunity this morning to do that. For those of us who have, our job is to be with Jesus, to let him be our strength, to follow him into the darkness, to push back the works of the enemy, to rescue the captives, to love and serve the littlest ones, 
to protect those in our midst who are the most vulnerable, to see people. See, we don't want to just be a church. We want to be a movement, a movement that sees you, that sees everyone, that says you are valuable. Whatever has been done to you, whatever you have done, that you have a purpose to play in this world. None of us were designed to just sit on the sidelines. It doesn't matter how old we are, we can join with Christ and to make a difference. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Before we close, and I'm closing right now, and invite the band to come up. Like I said, I just want to, I want to give an opportunity to respond. Maybe you're in the storm and, and, and you're not with Jesus. And, and you haven't bowed the knee and put your faith and trust and belief in him and confessed with your mouth that he is Lord. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. The Bible tells us that those who confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. The wages, the price of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life for those of us who put our trust in him and who follow Jesus. If you would like to respond for the very first time to say, Jesus, I need you. I'm tired of being the leader of my life. I'm going to make you my king. I'm going to bow the knee. I'm going to give you the chance to do that. And again, I believe that what God is speaking to your heart right now is real. And when we respond on the outside to what God's doing on the inside, it makes it that much more real. On the count of three, I just want to ask you to raise your hand. If you want to receive Christ for the first time, I want to give you that opportunity. One, I believe God loves you. He so loves you. He gave his only son for you. Number two, I believe that if you give your life to Christ, no matter what storms you go through, his presence will be with you. You will have purpose. You will never be the same. Number three, you'll be with God forever. If you want to respond and say, Jesus, I'm going to give my life in control to you, just raise your hand up so I can see that. Is there anyone this morning? I see that hand. Thank you. Is there anyone else? The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths, that if we believe in our hearts, we will be saved. And I believe that when you raise your hand, that you are making that commitment. The Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing as we welcome someone into God's family. For the rest of us, I want to encourage you to ask, God, where are you leading me? Where is that place that you want me to go? How do you want me to love and serve others? How can I make a difference? How can I get in the game? How can I trust you more? that whatever I'm going through, that your presence is with me, that you have a purpose for my life. God, I thank you that you are here with us, that you want more for us than just to go through life drifting. But God, you've given us a purpose. I pray, God, that as we go out of here, that God, we will follow you wherever you lead us. In your name we pray, amen. How would you stand? I just want to give God glory for the one person today who gave their life to Christ this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.
before we go, um, what we're trying something new. And so, uh, as you know, we believe in serving others inside the church and outside the church. Um, but to make it through the summer, we need everyone to get on board and to serve others. And so kind of what we're trying something new is basically saying like this semester of serving ends next Sunday. And then we're asking for people to make a commitment to serve others over the summer from June 10th through Labor Day weekend. And then we'll do a new sign-ups to serve. Because I think sometimes when we ask you to sign up to serve on the setup team or the teardown team or the tech team or the kids team or hospitality, it's like, man, am I signing up for the rest of my life? No, right now it's just for the summer. So we're gonna invite you, hey, would you please sign up? Would you serve others this summer? We have about 100 people that serve on a regular basis. And what we need is about 100 people to sign up and say, yes, I'm gonna serve this summer four times over the next 13 weeks. I can serve in the nursery four times out of the next 13 weeks. I can greet, I can, I can help set up. That's where the holiest of holy people show up is at seven o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning to set up. Uh, whatever it might be. And so what we want to do is just say, hey, help us shine the light of Christ to those around here who need to see that. And so out in the lobby, when you go out, you have this light bulb. And when you say, yes, I am in, I can serve four times this summer, you get to put that light bulb on that whiteboard in the area that you want to serve. And then you get this awesome t-shirt like this. Woohoo! And then you wear it proudly and say, I am in the game. I am serving others. And uh, that's what our encouragement to you uh, to go do that. Uh, and for our kids, we've got our Jesus Changes Everything shirt. We're giving those away still. Grab one of those. Uh, so that is out there. Get your shirt. Sign up to serve. It's awesome. Because uh, here's the deal. We're not asking to serve just because we need it. We want to invite you to partner with us with what God is doing. Life truly is better serving others. Life truly is better when you understand why that you are here. We have so many people who said, man, I never thought about serving in kids' ministry, and now I'm doing it, and it's amazing the impact I've had in the lives of those kids. Sign up to serve, to get to know other people. Uh, at Rice Lake Elementary, we're going to have a little bit different setup. But man, you want to get to know some other guys or some other ladies? Come early, set up. We, we laugh, we talk, we debate who's the greatest basketball player of all time. You can ask Jeremy who he thinks it is. Uh, he might be right, he might be wrong, I don't know. Uh, sometimes we eat donuts. It's, just, it's a good time to get to know other people. Stay a little late. Yeah, sign up to serve. Get donuts. Uh, stay a little late. Help us pack up. It, it's a way to be in community with others, to partner with what God is doing. All right, we're going to go out for singing. Uh, this has been our theme song for the whole series, Multiply. Receive the benediction. May you know that you are not just loved, but that you are so loved that God gave he gave, he gave, he gave his one and only son so you and I can have everlasting life. May you be filled up with love from God so that you can serve others and make a difference in this world. Have a great week. Uh, we'll see you next Sunday.